everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Marlin's Corner. Very excited to see you, and welcome, welcome. Uh, this week, finally, we're going to discuss some Tim Burton uh, episodes, or some Tim Burton movies this week. Um, and not the ones that you're typically used to, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, no Frank and Weenie, Ever Your Hands. We're going to go find some less you know, gothic, less fairy to less fantastical films of his, which do exist and break some of those down. So to start things off, we're going to talk about a um, film called Big Eyes. Now, Big Eyes is about um, a painter, Margaret Keane, and her phenomenal success in the 1950s. And of course, the subsequent legal difficulties that she had with her husband, who claimed credit for her work in the 1960s. So we kind of get a chance to see this kind of, uh, uh, this kind of a bio, uh, film almost, but it's, you know, directed and produced by Tim Burton. So let's kind of talk about that today. So as I said, this is a, uh, directed and produced Tim Burton film. Um, the writers are the screenwriting duo team of Scott Alexander and, uh, Larry Krasinski. Uh, they've done multiple films together, their duo, and they kind of just tag team a lot of things. And of course, the music, uh, is done, uh, is done by none other than Danny Elfman because it couldn't be a Tim Burton film without his boy Danny Elfman on, on the list there. Um, this is a crazy star studded cast. You got Amy Adams as Margaret Keene. You got Christoph Waltz as a, uh, Walter Keane, Danny Hudson, you may know him from the X-Men series, William Stryker. Uh, you got Kristen Ritter, uh, none, other than, none other than Marvel's Jessica Jones, and of course, uh, Jason Schwartzman and Terrence Stamp. So they uh, have a lot of actors and actresses in this film that uh, have a lot of name recognition. Uh, my thoughts about the film are, you know, as follows. Uh, I was really... Um, thinking about this as the film was starting, um, that whenever I see any opening credits that include like the Weinstein company, uh, I'm always like, Oh my God. Yeah. That, that like they were a thing for a while. And like, I fully had a whole like audible ugh, yeesh moment of like, Oh man, that's, that's gotta be rough. If you're, you know, looking at movies in the past, cause a lot of them were, uh, a part of that Weinstein company. So that definitely is going to be something I'm looking at uh, when I see all these older films of like, oh yeah, that's that was a thing for a long time. And, you know, they can't really pull a Spielberg and go back and like cover up all these films because they're kind of already there. So just that was something that kind of came to my mind. Um, but uh, just about the uh, Margaret O'Keefe in general, like I've seen some of her photos. I've seen them in stores. I've seen them in bars and restaurants. Um, but I never really knew the story behind them. Um, Margaret King's story is like a truly wild ride, uh, but it's one that kind of follows a very uh, common trend of, of men taking advantage, uh, not only women, but others when it comes to just saying, oh, this is actually my work. Uh, I'm the mastermind behind it uh, and kind of just taking ownership from someone else. Uh, and oftentimes it doesn't really end with them getting their comeuppance, but this is more or less a, a happier ending. Um, but Margaret Keene is a creator and originator of the Waif drawings. And if you're unfamiliar, they're basically those acrylic drawings of like children with these huge eyes that are kind of like creepy uh those are hers uh she's the originator of that in, uh, in general uh and she kind of started that whole trend uh, her husband walter keen was her hype man um he was like on top of the marketing he knew where to go to to market it 
but he didn't like being taken out of the limelight. So he began taking credit for her work. And by telling her that, yo, like, I know the avenue. I know how these things work. You don't. If you just let me get out there, then we, like, we get famous. And I think the movie did a great job of really uh, having Kristoff see a lot of our paintings. We're successful as a way to, you know, have this man attach himself to, to this successful woman um, in order to uh, get her to keep the secret so that he can continue to uh, grow their brand. Uh, And this allowed him to meet famous people all the while she was staying at home, just like churning out these paintings in a room by herself uh, while he was out there just kind of getting all the accolades for it. Um, Amy and Crystal do do a pretty amazing job at portraying their characters. Um, And it's important that, that Margaret King was a product of her time. You know, she was a woman who had recently separated from her husband. And during that time, you kind of didn't really do that. It, 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 it was kind of frowned upon. And so she's out there trying to um, make her own way. And also she has a daughter. So she's looking for ways to keep her daughter safe, but she's also an artist. And she realizes that all folks see her as, as a woman first before they see her as an artist in general. Um, so that was something she had to, to balance. And it, it's what allowed her to accept Christoph Waltz's, uh, aka Walter's help in this. Now, Walter King, on the opposite end of that, uh, he was a known plagiarist. Um, he would often sell paintings that weren't his, um, but he did so because he was a smooth talker. Uh, he was really good at getting into these inner circles and being a part of these things. And what's wild is that he actually isn't even a painter. He just was really good at schmoozing with the right people and making money the way he makes money, which is being a smooth and a fast talker. Um, I think what was great was that, you know, they showed us all these ups and downs, but by the end of the film, we really get to see uh, Margaret gain some of her power back. And ultimately, I think the best part of the film is the court scene. Um, at the very end, you know, Margaret sues Walter um, to say, like, these are actually my paintings. You, you know, these are these are not yours, and I want the world to know these are mine. Uh, and so they go to court for it. It's this huge court battle. It's a lot of courtroom drama going back and forth. Uh, and ultimately, it's like a he said, she said kind of kind of case. And so what I thought was wild and was actually true for this court case is that the judge ordered them both to paint. Uh, the judge was like, great, like this is a really difficult case because it's your word versus his word. And like none of you have evidence to like fully prove it. But what's going to help me is that I want you all to sit in this courtroom for an hour and I want you to paint one of these wave paintings. Uh, and it was... I think it was the coolest thing I've ever seen, um, especially because I was like reading, because my mom thinking, you know what? There's no way this actually happened. This must be like a made for TV moment. Like, oh, it's based on a true story, but how true is it? But looking into it, the judge was really like, great. I want y'all to paint. I want, I, I want to see who, who this painting belongs to. So we're going to, we're going to get y'all some canvases. You, you, you each have an hour. You sit in this courtroom and you paint. Uh, and Margaret Keene painted her wave in about 53 minutes. And Walter, true to his uh, fuckboy status, complained about having a shoulder injury. Uh, and he didn't paint anything. Uh, and so they're like, cool. You're obviously not the owner and originator and creator of this drawing. Uh, so... Margaret wins and it was amazing. Uh, she won. She has, she got all that power back. Uh, I know that with this film being released, they were able to like, you know, do some more prints and things like that. Uh, and it was really great is that the film also did a really fun job of, um, 
clowning Walter at the very end where they were like, he died penniless and bitter. And it was like, man, they're like going all in on Walter. I'm like, forget that guy. He sucks. Um, but yeah, the film was really awesome. And I was really, I, there are certain points where I would forget that this is a Tim Burton film because it just felt like a, a typical normal based on a true story, uh, documentary biopic. It didn't feel like it was a Tim Burton film. I mean, there were some moments where like, uh, I believe Margaret was hallucinating because she'd been painting so many of the weights that she started seeing big eyes on people. But that was literally the only moment in the film where it's just like, oh yeah. Tim Burton uh, <laughs> directed and, and produced this film. Otherwise, you couldn't even tell. So check it out. Big eyes. It was really entertaining, uh, really great. And I think you might like it. Um, some fun facts about the film is that uh, Tim Burton owns an extensive collection of Margaret Keene's wave paintings. I believe in the 1990s, he even had her like paint a portrait of his girlfriend. Uh, and he also had her paint a portrait of... Helena Bottom Carter and their Chihuahua. So he has that. Um, was also was like, this actually, this is the first live action Tim Burton film to feature neither Johnny Depp nor Helena Bottom Carter since Mars Attacks in 1996. That's big, y'all. Cause typically when you hear Tim Burton, you automatically think, is it Johnny? Is it Helena? Is it both? And this had neither of them. So this was big. I was like, I was like, yo, is she in the background? Is she, is she going to voice a character that we don't see? But, they weren't in it at all. Um, this this film took 11 years, which was super wild. What I thought was crazy that I had to like fully double check is that the animator, uh, Craig McCracken, he's behind uh, the Powerpuff Girls, you know, they came out in like in, the, in like the 90s. He basically said that the Powerpuff Girls are based on Margaret King's waifs. So if you think about it, the Powerpuff Girls are these little girls who have these big eyes. And you're like... That makes so much sense. And to really drive home the fact that these were, uh, you know, based on Margaret Keene, if you remember in the cartoon, what is the teacher's name that is in the classroom with the Powerpuff Girls? Her name is Miss Keene. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense. Oh my God, this, this, it, this, this all makes sense. This is amazing that this man connected these things. And it was just, it was wild. I was, I was today years old when I found that out. Um, and lastly, uh, Margaret Keene actually makes a cameo in this movie. She's actually sitting on a park bench um, behind um, uh, Amy Adams and Christoph Walters. They're like in a scene. She's actually sitting on a park bench and they actually take a photo of Amy Adams and Margaret Keene together. And they put it at the very end of the film. But it was a very cute moment of her being in her own film. She's still around, still kicking still painting to this day which is super dope so check that out big eyes it was very entertaining uh and second we have another uh film it has big in the title this one's called big fish now this one as best i can describe it is a frustrated son tries to determine fact from fiction um in his dying father's life um, again directed by tim burton this one felt a bit more fantasy-esque so it kind of fit within the tim burton realm but still it, it I, I think it kind of stands apart but there are a lot of uh actors in this film that are in other tim burton films entirely um you have danny devito's in this um you have i believe the individual who played the oompa loompas in charlie and chocolate factories in this helena bottom carter's in this so she's in this one right now she's just 
they're going to come back. She's in it. So they really go all the way to like kind of bring you bits of Tim Burton's, but they don't go all out with it. But yeah. They, they, they did what they could. Uh, the writers of this film are Daniel Wallace, who wrote the novel the movie's based on. We got John August, who wrote the screenplay. And he also wrote a ton of other uh, Tim Burton films. You got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Frank and Weenie, Corpse Bride, Corpse Bride, to name a few. But he's, you know, been a part of this whole world with Tim Burton. And, of course, music is by your boy Danny Elfman again. They're never going to be separated. They both look creepy. So they're just going to be tagged together. Um, in this film, you, of course, got Ian McGregor. Uh, you got Albert Feeney. They're, paying, they're playing young Ed Bloom and old Ed Bloom. You have Billy Cudrup as the son, Will Bloom. You got Jessica Lange as the mom, Sandra Bloom. And, of course, you got Helena Bottom Carter, who's playing a witch, which at that that tracks. She's playing a witch. We we could definitely see that happening. And she also was another character named Jenny, but Jenny's also kind of a witch too. It was a weird moment of the film. Who knows? But basically, my thoughts on the film are that it's kind of like again, it's not your usual Tim Burton film, but it has way more fantasy than uh, Big Eyes. And this one, you kind of follow a young man named Will who is particularly upset about his father. Uh, his father is a world-class storyteller, and Will has reached a point in his life where he's like, I don't know you, Dad. Like, you tell amazing stories, but I'm now 30 years old, and I can't tell if these stories are real or not because you never change them up. You always keep them consistent, and you never change the way you tell them. I mean, there are several points in the film where he's asking, like, very plain yes or no questions, but the dad really seems to be all about, like, the storytell. He, 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 he really wants to go back into the story and tell it again, and where the son is like, yo, just give me a yes or no answer. Uh, and it kind of definitely, like, has a, an abrasive nature to their whole relationship. And of course, uh, Will is grilling his father, uh, but his father also is going through cancer and is slowly dying. Um, and so there's several points where almost kind of like Princess Bride-like, where the father will narrate stories that take you to the past, quotation marks, because we don't know if these are true stories or not. They're kind of wrapped up in fantasy, but they take you to a point in time where uh, he's going through these stories. And the father describes himself as almost like he's a goddamn superhero. Like he, at some point, he's describing how he's like, an amazing athlete. He's like scoring touchdowns. He's making slant. He's like making three point shots. Uh, he's like a, a scientist. He's, he's like winning all the science fair. He saves a baby from a, from a, a, a fire at a home. Uh, he even gets the key to the city so that he can, uh, go on his next big adventure because at this point, uh, he's, referred to as kind of a big fish and that's something that they kind of like really drive home this whole mindset of like a big fish and what it means um in the beginning the father describes how he caught a big fish the day that his son was born uh, and it's it's definitely a metaphor they're using to describe um you know just the fact that like, this this dad is like he's like living in these moments uh but is he, is he is he living too much in the moment and it has not stepped out of these moments yet the film does a great job of kind of giving you these like are these stories real are they not real who knows but what was really great uh is kind of like just seeing these play out and you kind of have to pick from the story could that happen could that not happen who knows at a certain point i stopped feeling annoyed uh because because like, because at a certain point, I kind of saw those stories as more or less having a moral or a lesson to be learned from them that I think the father was trying to have his son pick up on. Um, but 
again, he's the kind of person who, who doesn't change the story, nor does he break down what the moral of the story is. So you can get why the son be like, hey, I'm you've told me the story like 8,000 times. Like, tell me what you want to tell me. Be upfront about it. This is like getting annoying. Um, but they don't really go through that. They, you know, these, these are two adults and, you know, two adults should have a very direct conversation, but they were on a way were unable to. I think at the very end of the film, right when the father is like, you know, going through his last dying moments, you know, he kind of hands it off to his son to tell him the story. And the son uh, definitely goes through moments of thinking like, hey, you're sick. You know, let me get you some help. But then he kind of accepts his role as I am now a storyteller. And so he gives uh, he gives his father a big a big ending. He, he gives him an ending where he basically connects all the stories his father has ever told to him in a way uh, that allows his father to feel as if, uh, you know, he he's ready to go. You know, he's given his son all his stories and his son has then like pretty much recited them all in one final story. Uh, and he ends by pretty much putting his father in a river, uh, which is a, which is a river his father described in his other stories. And once in the river, his father <laughs> turns into a big fish. Uh, so they really drive home this big fish analogy and his metaphor. And his father pretty much becomes the big fish and swims off in a way. Um, and that's pretty much his like dying scene. Um, it was very interesting. I definitely was kind of like, okay, that I can see that being kind of Tim Burton-esque of this, this man turning into a catfish and just <laughs> swimming away. Uh, the, the funeral scene was really nice because it finally gave the viewer a chance to see if the dad was full of shit or not. Uh, and it was great because you got a chance to see all the characters the father described walk on screen and like, oh, so the character does exist. They are real. I do think there was one scene that I, I think that they probably could never do again because it was just really um, abstract and just really uh, messy. There's a scene where the father is like, I guess, enlisted to go fight in the war. We're not told which war it is. Um, he's dropped over um, what is, I'm just going to guess is an Asian country. Uh, as he's like swinging in, and I do think this is the one time we're having captions is fantastic because it fully confused me. He is like floating down on his parachute and I believe like the person is doing like uh, and he's first falling down in front of a talent show pretty much uh, and there's a man with like a ventriloquist dummy doing kind of a show and the man is speaking to Galog but there's like a Chinese flag behind the man and then once that man gets off the stage, the, the presenter is speaking Chinese. And then once, uh, <laughs> once the dad gets in the tent behind, uh, the whole talent show, there are two men speaking Korean. And then he's speaking to this woman in Chinese and he's holding a translation book that says English to Asian. And I, it was the messiest and most unacceptable scene I've ever seen. And I guess it's like to, I, I, I guess that's there's a point to be like the dad doesn't know anything. He's like not worldly, so all this sounds the same to him. But it just felt so wild and ridiculous. And it's like, do we need to include that? We kind of did it. We could have just had them speaking one language and could have kept going. But now it just seems just overtly uh, just wrong. So like we're going to include three different like languages and call them all Asian and just have this man have an English to Asian translation book and it just qualifies for everything. It was weird. Didn't fully vibe with it, but yo, this film was in the, in the early aughts. They were still wilding out then. 
But yeah, all this, this movie was fun. I liked it a lot. Uh, I liked it because I do think there is a power of storytelling. It definitely brings people together, takes you back to like, you know, the, the, the days of sitting around a fire and just kind of telling stories, having that great orator skills. And I know that, you know, growing up, like my mom would tell my brother and I stories to either frighten or delight us before we went to sleep. And there is a true power of storytelling. Uh, so if you haven't seen this film or Big Eyes, do we watch Big Eyes and Big Fish? You'll have a fun time with it. And of course, our fun facts about this film are as follows. Uh, in the film, Will is married to French actress Marianne Cotard, or Marianne Cotard, as I would like to say, because that was a butchering of, of pronunciation. This is actually her first American feature film. And on that same vein, this is actually Miley Cyrus's um, feature film. She was in this movie. Uh, it threw me for a loop seeing baby Miley Cyrus uh, in Alabama. Uh, that was wild. Uh, also, Ian e. McGregor's Alabama accent is just really interesting, as are a few other people's accents. So if you're from the South, have some fun with this because their accents are just off the wall. Um, what's also great is that there is a character named Carl the Giant who's played by Matthew McGregor. Who's, who's played by Matthew McGorry. Uh, he actually had the, like the costume department made these fake shoes for him, but they were actually for real, for real made out of luggage. Uh, and they were the size, uh, US 29 and a half. This man's shoes are huge. Um, Helen Bottom Carter, who's in this film, was pregnant during filming, uh, which makes sense. If you look at all the shots of her, they're all playing. They're all, they all make sense there. Uh, but, this has been our Tim Burton episode. Big ups to you for checking it out, for listening in. I uh, finally got to it, y'all. It happened. Uh, we will. Be, I will be back next week with another uh, director. I'm also going to be seeing Candyman pretty soon, so we'll have that update soon. Again, thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate the listen. Definitely hit me up. Let me know what you think. What other movie director show should I be reviewing? I have lots of time and more. Uh, if you're an educator, again, big ups to you. Lots of support. Um, take care of yourself. Know that there are people out there who care about you. And if need be, find that second job before you decide to leave. Make sure you're on your feet. Make sure you have someone to support you and that you help reach out to others. Otherwise, folks, we'll see you next time on Marlon's Corner. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you back in the corner. Bye-bye. This episode of Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California. 